Good morning. Hello. Oh, there you are. Good morning. Great to see y'all back. Y'all refreshed. We're going to have a great morning here as Daniel really fills in some of these uh, wonderful ideas and concepts about walking in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're just thrilled to have him. Did you enjoy last night? Cool. I think we have a, a few more people that are that are here today that weren't here yesterday, so that's great. Why don't we uh, pray, and without further ado, we'll invite Daniel up. Lord, we invite you here. We love you. We worship you as our King of kings and Lord of lords. And uh, we are here because we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in our lives and through our lives in this world to be that light in this world and to be able to experience the fullness of your Holy Spirit, be able to accomplish that. And so we ask right now that you would uh, just help us to be open to your leading and your guiding and bless Daniel as he presents these important concepts to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's welcome Daniel Brown back. Okay, thank you all. Thank you, thank you. Well, can I just get a show of hands? Who was uh, not here last evening? I just want to know if we have a few of you. Okay, this is so exciting because it gives me a chance to review. And I love going backwards, you know. Um, What's that old saying? If you feel like you take one step forward and two steps backwards, I'm making no progress. Okay, turn around and walk the other way. Okay, I'll leave that with you. Um, <laughs> so we are, we are trying to um, talk about the things of the Spirit, the things of God, and chart a very careful course, kind of right down the middle between what I would call two extremes that can develop. And we're doing so by walking on the Word of God. And I spent a lot of time last evening talking about a pattern that we see for ministry in Jesus' life. And he made a really big deal of saying, my teaching is not my own, meaning it doesn't come from within my uh, natural self. Now, we know that Jesus was both son of God, yes, but also son of man. And his teaching didn't come from, he didn't originate it. He heard what the Father said, and then he repeated it. He watched what the Father did, and he copied that. That's what created the miraculous works, the miracles. Miracles are a result in Jesus' life of simply paying attention to the Father. So now that Jesus has gone back to heaven, he said to his disciples, and he says to us today, I don't want you to be orphans. I don't want you to be without this voice of the Father that I have been communicating to you. But since I'm going to be with the Father in heaven, there won't be anybody to pass that along to you, what we say. And so that's why I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And this is the main assignment of the Holy Spirit, is to enable uh, you, to enable me, to hear the words of the Father that are spoken, Jesus hears them, repeats them, the Spirit hears them, 
and then the Spirit speaks them to us. And Jesus said that when the Spirit that the world can't behold, when you have him in your life, he will take of mine, in other words, he will bring to your remembrance things that I have spoken, and that's how you'll know basically what you're supposed to do. So the Holy Spirit is is very important to our ministry to other people. And it's very important for us to feel the prompting and the leading of the Lord. When people say, oh, I sense that God was saying this. I really felt like God wanted me to do that. Um, technically speaking, what you felt and what you sensed was the Holy Spirit taking the Father's will and making it apparent and known to you and me. And when I was uh, growing up as a youngster in the church that I was a part of, we talked a lot about God the Father, a lot about uh, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was always part of the, you know, maybe the prayer in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. But I didn't have much understanding of who the Holy Spirit was. Uh, And that's what we're trying to do, is to talk about the vitality, the importance of the Holy Spirit and how you and I can participate in spiritual things. So that's why we've entitled this seminar, Spirituals. So most of last night was just, can you believe it? I spent two hours saying what I've just now said in six minutes. (laughs) Okay, so the moral of the story is, only come the second time, and uh, the summary is much, much quicker. Now, I said that we're trying to chart this course between two extremes, and my observation is that on the one hand, you have people who are afraid of the things of the Spirit, and oh, no, 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 I don't want any of that stuff to happen. I don't want that spiritual stuff to go on, maybe because they've seen goony things done in the name of the Lord, uh, or maybe they, you know, they feel, I can't do that. I could never prophesy. I, I don't think I'm one of those people that could speak in tongues. Oh, no, no. I don't want to lay my hands on. I don't think I have it in me to do those kinds of spiritual things. Well, but that's the whole point. See, it isn't something that we originate ourselves. But I would say 90% of the church population uh, draws back from the things of the Spirit for a number of reasons. They're like, "Mm mm-mm. But there is another segment I also think is extreme, and and they're kind of a anything goes as long as I say it's the Spirit. And and so they're kind of the wild, yeah, kind of wild west sort of loose cannon type, but it's the Lord, you know, that told me to do this. And they do all sorts of things that when you go and look in the scripture, you think, huh, I don't see anything like that at all in this book. And I want to just say from the the get-go here, we are not mystics. We're spiritual, but we're not mystics. And you say, well, what's the difference? A mystic is somebody who believes that he or she has revelation direct from God. And because I have this direct from God, nobody can tell me I'm not right. My vision, my, my, my revelation, what I feel led to do is not subject to 
to any outside evaluation or scrutiny saying that's nuts because I got it from the Lord. And friends, we have something from the Lord. It's called the Bible. Every single one of us has it. And that's why any, I was saying last night, anything that somebody claims to be spiritual or from the Lord, chances are it's going to have to have some Bible uh, in it. And behaviors that some people say, oh, no, no, this is just a result of the Spirit working in my life. When we don't see it in the Word of God, we have to become somewhat cautious about it. But that's kind of a little bit further down the road, and I'm getting off of my review into new territory. Have I said good morning yet? I don't think I have. Good morning, everyone. I just get pretty excited about sharing the Word of God. So why don't we go to the Bible, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is where we're going to pick up the study that we ended with last evening. And if you will recall, we read the first three verses, and uh, in those three verses, uh, Paul says that nobody who is led by the Spirit is ever going to say, let Jesus be accursed. But he also says, just so that we get a feel for, well, what is this spiritual stuff like? How do I kind of know that it's something from the Spirit? And he uses an example by saying this, that nobody can even say and mean in their heart, Jesus is Lord, except by the power, the dynamic of the Holy Spirit, which is not always like an electric defibrillator shocking people. The power of the Spirit, we defined yesterday, is a granted to me, given to me, gifted to me, access to understandings, to words, to behaviors that do not originate from within myself. Okay, That is what the power of the Spirit is. Now sometimes, of course, that power of the Spirit, meaning I have a sense that I'm supposed to pray for this person, And the power to heal that person doesn't come from me. But because of the power of the Spirit, in other words, the granted to me access to a dynamic, a power that belongs to God, because I get in on channeling, as it were, that power, I have access to employing that power in this person's life, right? They get healed. And people say, wow, wow, that's the power of God. Yeah, but the power of God is not... The power of God is that I get in on what the Holy Spirit has. Words, knowledge, understanding, power, etc. And that access to the Holy Spirit is given to all of God's children. So another way I would even say what I'm hoping we will do today is that each of us will have a little better sense, a little more, um, what's the word? I want to say confidence. I don't mean self-confidence. But you and I will have more confidence that truly God not only wants to make His will known to us, 
but he wants to do his works in my life, in your life, and in the lives of people around us. How does God do his work? How do these miraculous things take place? Mostly by him tapping people like you and me on the shoulder and giving us a prompting to do what he wants us to do. And as we speak words that we're not even sure why we feel led to say this to you, but I'm going to say it. And the people say, oh my, oh my, you won't believe this. I was just praying yesterday and this is exactly what, I can't believe what you... See, they get all excited. But for you, sorry, I do get excited, right? (laughs) But for you, it's just like, well, I don't know. Is it me? Is it the Lord? Is it me? Is it the Lord? And you take a little plunge and say, well, um, what do you think? That is how God does what he does. And I just want all of us to be more open to the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is me still trying to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, beginning now in verse 4. Beginning in verse 4. So there are, there are all kinds of spirituals, and he's now going to identify three different ways of seeing these spirituals in the world. So he says there are varieties of gifts. Now that's the first time in this chapter that that word that we normally would say, spiritual gifts, that's the first time this word is used. Okay, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Okay, Remember that word works? We talked about yesterday, Jesus said, uh, I, the Father, is doing his works in me, through me, and greater works than these will you do, because I'm going to the Father, you're going to have the Holy Spirit, and the Father and I are going to do our work on earth by giving you understanding of what to do and what to say. And if you will simply do what we bid you to do, oh my goodness, things are going to happen. So now Paul is trying to explain the same dynamic again. And when it comes to spirituals or the things of the Spirit that you and I might apprehend, we might hear them, we might see them, we might sense them, we might feel them, he says there's a few different categories. All right? The first is, spiritual gifts. That's what the normal language that we all use. And I'm going to jump down just a couple of verses so that you can see what these spiritual gifts actually are. There's a list of them that begins in verse 8. There are nine of them. So let's read together. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another, did I say... Did I just hear something? I'm going to keep reading. I thought somebody corrected me, which I don't mind. Was that you, Lord? No, apparently not. Okay. (laughs) We're all in verse 8. That's where I am. I'm going to start again. (laughs) Uh, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. 
to another faith, or the gift of faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. So this list in these verses are the nine spiritual gifts. And sometimes people will say, well, are there more than nine? Um, I don't know that we can say for sure, no. But this is a pretty comprehensive list. There are nine of them. And some people will say, well, what about the gift of hospitality? Um, Well, if it is a spiritual gift, you have to remember it doesn't come from your natural self. So if you are just naturally hospitable and you've never met a person that you didn't know within 10 seconds, you know, if you're one of those, I don't know that we would say you have a spiritual gift. Um, So I would tend to say, no, I don't think the gift of hospitality. And others will, will mention, well, what about the gift of celibacy? Um, I don't also think of that as a spiritual gift. That's not generally one that people are seeking. You know, he says you should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. There are not so many people, oh, I'll tell you the one I really want is, uh, uh, when they get a little older, they're kind of thinking, thank you, God, I'm getting close to getting that gift. But not many people in the beginning are like, you know, uh, sign, sign me up. Uh, to that. So I, I will just leave it as these nine, and we can say at least these are spiritual gifts. But notice he begins by the gift of word of wisdom, word of knowledge. And it would be very easy to take those words that we use in English, right? Wisdom and knowledge. And we could, in a sense, kind of naturalize spiritual gifts by saying, oh, that's just one of the, one of the wisest ladies that I've ever met. She probably has that gift of word of wisdom because we're just thinking of this natural thing called wisdom and then we put a little pixie dust on it and call it, uh, call it a spiritual gift or word of knowledge. I don't know, that guy just seems to, like I have a friend who knows a little bit about every subject in the world. Have you ever met one of those people? And he just starts talking and you think to yourself, where do you, where do you learn this stuff? And you bring up any subject, oh yes, I, and he has a little bit to say. Now, he's very knowledgeable, but that's not the gift of the word of knowledge. I'll give you an example of word of knowledge. Okay, word of knowledge is when you suddenly become aware of some detail or fact in somebody's life that there's no way that you would naturally know. And when you share that detail, it totally blows their mind. And they think to themselves, how do you know this stuff? To which your response is, I have no idea. Okay? Because it came by revelation. Uh, Jesus uses this word of knowledge when he's speaking to the woman at the well. You remember the the dialogue and and he's been saying a few things. She's really excited and interested. And he says, well, honey, go go get your husband. And, you know, this was before Facebook, and she, it's complicated. (laughs) 
And he, he, he says, oh, I know, I know. And the man you're living with is not your, not your husband. And you've actually had, I forget what it is, five, five, yeah, five other men, yeah. Oh, I love Jesus didn't, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, he just, he let her know something about herself. And her response was, oh, my goodness. She runs into town and and tells everybody, you, you won't believe this man has told me everything about myself. Jesus just spoke one thing, one fact, but it was so, uh, I guess you could say, central to her life. And she was so amazed that she now became convinced that Jesus had the answer to everything. A spiritual gift that I receive is always by revelation. And then when I speak that gift, I don't have to announce ahead of time, wait, 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 oh, <laughs> yeah, I've got a word of knowledge for you. No, you don't just, just skip all that. Do that in your closet some other place, <laughs> right? Don't be weird. That's the subheading of this little seminar. No need to be weird. Be spiritual. And so if you just uh, offer this thing, it is supposed to have a profound effect on the people who are ministered to. You know those, uh, those magazine pictures, the before and after? Uh, when, when a spiritual is introduced into another person's life after it was first introduced in mine, and then it gets done or spoken that person is suddenly a before and after. It does something. Okay. Word of wisdom is not just being clever. When you have a word of wisdom for someone, it's it, it, think of it as sort of a prevailing sense of a season that that person is in. And when when... Now I'm getting confused. So many different. So let's say if you have a word of wisdom for me, that'll be a whole lot easier. Okay. So when you have a word of wisdom for me, what you say makes sense out of a whole lot of stuff that's been going on in my life recently. So a a, a for instance might be if you even casually mention, "Hey, it's really great to see you uh, come in from the desert." Might just be a kind greeting that you're, but you are prompted to say, "Nice, nice to have you back from the desert." And when you say that, suddenly I know what's been going on in my life for the previous year and a half, and oh, I get it now, and it gives me great sense of confidence that the good God has a plan for my life, and I can't wait for the next season. Or a word of wisdom might be, this is now I'm using as an analogy, somebody says, uh, hey, hey, it's winter. And you're like, oh, oh, is that why I've been so cold? Yeah. Okay, I'll try another one, ladies. This might help you. A word of wisdom is the red dot on the mall map. Okay? Forever 21 is that way, and J. Crew is that way. Oh, I know where I am. See, it orients you 
but it's done spiritually, and suddenly you can see things about your life situation and circumstance that give you great hope for what God is yet going to do. Spiritual gifts are profoundly impactful. We don't need to soup them up in the delivery. All right, let's see. Um, uh, I'm I'm not going to go over all nine of these uh, uh, gifts, but discerning of spirits. Not everybody has discerning of spirits. That's a spiritual gift. But everyone who wants to, according to the book of Hebrews, if you practice by reading the Word of God and using it to assess situations, just through practice, your senses can be trained to discern between good and evil. You grow in an understanding of things that are, whoa, 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 that's not good, and this is good. But that's not the same as the gift of discerning or distinguishing of spirits. And that can manifest several different ways. It could be that when you're uh, praying for someone and, okay, you know that, that pride and fear can often manifest the same way. You know, somebody who is just like so arrogant, I am... And you would know to pray, oh God, humble them. Right? And then you back away as you do. Because, right? <laughs> you know, he's going to probably fall. If, they have, if somebody has pride, it, can, it, can, it, it shows up like this. But sometimes people who have a lot of fear show the same kind of exterior. So if you're going to go and pray for this person, and you want discerning of spirit... To know, are we battling a strong man of fear or are we battling a strong man of pride? You see, being able to understand really what is going on. And as Paul said, that our warfare is not against flesh and blood. So we want to have spiritual tools and weapons. And one of those is the distinguishing or the discerning of spirits. Uh, Sometimes if you have this gifting, in its early stages of development, again, well, okay, you, you, you can be just minding your own business, even sitting in church, and thank you, Lord, hallelujah, and all of a sudden, you just kind of get the, you know, the, the you, know what, you know what I'm talking about on the inside, by the way, if you start doing that, the ushers have a special room for you, but, <laughs> but on the inside, you kind of get the spiritual eebie-jeebies. You know, and you just and you're suddenly all distracted, and you think, "What is happening?" Well, look around. Could be that somebody that just walked in and sat down. You're discerning some of the stuff going on inside of them. Okay, this isn't helping you, ladies. I'll try you again. This is a natural analogy. You know, when you get the creeps from a guy. Guys, don't worry. You'll never understand this, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> you just be yourself. You're fine. Uh, <laughs> okay. but, but not everybody gives you the creeps. You know, and somebody can just be nice, say, hey, how are you? And they touch your arm, and it's fine. But somebody else, how are you? They touch your arm, and you're like, ugh. 
You know what? That is natural discernment. But when you have the gift of discerning of spirits, you become aware of a lot of particular not good stuff. You can't figure it out with your brain, but you have it by revelation. And most of the time, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but (laughs) I'll catch up with myself eventually. Um, When you're praying for someone, or when you're thinking about somebody and your desire is to do them good and to minister to them, if one word, one corruption comes to your mind and it's like so big you just think uh, rage or you think uncleanness or you think bitterness not just oh that person is so bitter you don't think it through but instead of saying the sentence that person is so bitter you just bitterness that could very well be a functioning of this gift of discerning of spirits. And when you then know to pray for people, you pray according to that, and oh my goodness, so much more happens than if you just pray, Lord, I ask you to do something good in this person's life. That's still a nice prayer. But when you go after the bitterness, oh God, that has sprung up in this dear man's heart and polluted and caused so much trouble, And in Jesus' name, I yank that root out. A lot happens in that life. And the point of all of these spirituals, I'm going to take you back up to verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If it is a gift of the Spirit... The point is to do good to everybody else, not to somehow validate and platform the person with the gift. Does that make sense? Okay. Now he says, verse uh, verse 5, but there are also variety of ministries. Variety of ministries. And it's unfortunate that in English we talk about children's ministries, jail ministry, ministry to the homeless. These are all wonderful things that we do, but we use the same word, ministries. And so it can fool people into thinking, well, I I feel called to youth ministry. Bravo, I'm glad that you do. But that's not the kind of ministry that he's talking about. So bear with me for just a minute. I'm going to explain this several times because it's one of the newer thoughts that you might encounter as we're working our way through this book. Because remember, I'm saying spirituals are not all spiritual gifts. There are spiritual gifts, but now there are also spiritual ministries. And I would begin by telling you that your spiritual ministry is sort of the, uh, the assignment that you have in God. It's the body part that you are. And he will spend a big part of the rest of this chapter, I believe, referring to spiritual ministries. And then at the end of the chapter, he's going to kind of blend them together. And we'll look, we'll look at that. 
But my take is that his description about the eye and the ear and the nose, that we are all members of Christ's body, is talking about spiritual ministries, not spiritual gifts. And I said last evening that we have the spiritual gift of prophecy, but the spiritual ministry of prophet. They obviously are related, but they're not the same thing. Now the list of spiritual ministries uh, can be found some in this chapter, but I'm going to give you two references that you can look at a little bit later. One is in Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul puts it this way. He's describing some of these ministries, and he names them apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Five of them. Okay? And you may have heard this expression, the fivefold ministry, and that every church and its leadership should have the fivefold ministry. Okay? I don't know why we stop with five. Maybe that's because they just read that list. But if you go to Romans chapter 12, there is an additional list of ministries. Things like servers, uh, exhorters, givers, mercy showers, teachers. Wow, fantastic. And every single member uh, of Christ's body is one of these ministries. All right, let's. So, what's the difference between ministries and gifts? Well, the first that I can tell you is that your ministry you have as a result of being born. (laughs) Even before you're a Christian, you have an assignment, a, a part that God means for you to play in the body. If you never get saved, that who you are only gets used for not such good purposes. And we know this because Paul says that he was set apart uh, in the womb. And we know of Jeremiah the prophet that God called him to be a prophet while he was still in his womb. So if let's, let's say, for instance, if I was designed by God to be an exhorter, And we know that exhorters, uh, well, they tend to talk a little bit, a lot. And they also talk a lot about themselves because everything reminds themselves of themselves. And and so as they're sharing all this truth about what's happened in their life, the people that listen to them are really encouraged. And there's no situation they haven't been in. And these are the people that come up and say, ah, man, totally broke. eh? (laughs) I remember when I was totally broke. And they tell a story, and you find yourself fascinated by the fact that they were broke, and and now they're not. That's the key. If they still are, they're not much help. But if they're no longer broke, you're like, oh, my goodness, you feel such faith because they're the ones that tell you, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Now I think it's a dust rag somewhere. Don't worry, it'll be fine. And you take great encouragement from their testimony. And faith begins to arise in you because you think, my goodness, if God did it for you, he will do it for me. That's how that gift is supposed to be, or that ministry is supposed to be used. But if you never get saved, what do you do with yourself? You're the one that makes those before and after commercials. And if you're an exhorter who isn't saved, you can actually get people to buy things that are completely worthless. 
and they'll think, oh, this will be great. You know, I mean, some years ago, I, I don't know if they had it here, but in California, where I'm from, there on TV, there was this special, like, um, vibrating uh, band thing, and if you if you plugged this thing in and stood there, it, 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 and you would lose all sorts of weight. You could eat whatever, you know, just be eating, but, you know. I'm thinking, come on. Sorry, if you bought one of those, it's not your fault. It was a... <laughs> But I'm just thinking, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, that is not going to really help you. But if an exhorter says, this is what I was like before, and this is what I am like now, you just believe them, and whatever product is in the in-between, you go out and buy. Your ministry is framed from the time you're formed in the womb. And these ministries don't function like one another. Uh, Paul will later in this chapter use the example, uh, if, and if I can re- get it right, he says, if the eye says to the ear, whoa, did you see that? What is the ear going to say? Wah, 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 wah. And the eye says, hello, it's right in front of you. And the ear is like, but, but I don't, I don't, I don't see anything. And the eye is going to conclude, oh my goodness, you flabby piece of flesh sticking out doing absolutely nothing. Do you know how we, good we would be if we could get rid of you and stick another eye on the side of our head? I mean, aside from the fact we'd look like a fly, we would be killers. No, because each member of the body functions differently. And friend, if you don't know about yourself that you are a, let's say, a teacher as opposed to an exhorter, you're always going to feel like you're not much of a Christian because you're not like them. And the things that other people do seemingly so naturally is actually a product of this assignment that God has given them and their gift mix. And if you envy, or or not even envy in a bad way, you just think, oh, I'm not much because I'm not like that person. Oh my goodness, that will spin you into a not, a not good place. So a teacher and exhorter, these are like as different as night and day. Let me give a, 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 a for instance that will maybe help. Let's say your church has a coffee ministry, and you don't really mean coffee ministry. You mean get all the humans together and get them talking and sharing their life, but we'll give you a little coffee to make it easier for you. Oh, and by the way, we do want you awake, so it's kind of a caffeine and, and a community ministry. We call it coffee ministry for short. Now, if you're the person in charge of that coffee ministry, not to do it yourself, but to find someone, appoint someone, ask someone to do it, um, my suggestion to you is be careful who you ask to do this. Now, if you ask an exhorter to do the coffee ministry, well, I can tell you this, the conversation around the coffee pot will be fantastical. The coffee itself probably not very good at all. Because while the exhorter is pouring in however many scoops, somebody comes up and talks about, you know, I couldn't get my kids going this morning. You know, 
You know, when I, my kids were young, we used to, they'll carry on this conversation because that's what they're drawn to, talking about themselves. And when you walk away, they'll turn back to the coffee pot that they can't speak to. <laughs> Whatever. And this pot reminds them of absolutely nothing. So they'll just, oh, I don't know, pour in a few more scoops and they don't care. So the coffee is to gag for the conversation big time. If a teacher is doing this, within two weeks there are laminated instructions for how idiots <laughs> should make coffee, right? And the teacher will be get all the coffee and kind of very good, but conversation with other people not going to be so much. So my suggestion is get the two of them to do it as a group effort and your coffee will be fantastic. My point is this, and, and I'm, I don't have time to develop it anymore, and you won't believe me, but I'm going to still tell you. You, oh, I could weep. You are a spiritual Isaiah says in the book of Isaiah, there's a statement, uh, the people that God has given, the people are for signs and wonders. Please don't hear me minimize the miraculous and the present active working of the Holy Spirit to uh, heal the sick to raise the dead, to speak words that change people's lives. But if our only thinking about spirituals is that they have to be flashes of, uh, of, of electricity or puffs of smoke or big things over there, and we don't celebrate this amazing work of God called you, then I think we've completely missed the point. All right, do you have a few barnacles on the hull? Yeah, probably. Are there bent places in your life? More than likely. And because the enemy hates the works of God, and because the enemy is hell-bent on destroying everything that God has made, make no mistake about it, his work in your life is to so... Um, so disfigure you to spray the ugliest graffiti on your soul and to gouge you and to dirty you so that you cannot function as the woman, as the man that God meant you to be. I mean, God's desire to fix us is not because he's like, I just, I just, you know, would you clean up, you'd make me sick. No, if God wanted just to get you good, if he just wanted to, you know, come on, straighten you out, he would run you over with a Mack truck on your way home. <laughs> because, friends, on the way up, there's like this serious filter and everything gets cleaned out of you that doesn't belong and you arrive in heaven like, wow! So why would God keep you here 
and still be determined to get at all the broken places in your soul. It's because you are a spiritual, a sign and a wonder that God wants to use in the lives of other people to radically, radically change them. So there are a variety of gifts and there are a variety of ministries. And here's one that you don't hear talked about very much. There are also varieties of effects. Now, I'm going to explain it a little bit now, and then we'll come back to it at the end of this chapter. The word effects is just the word operations, or the way that things work, the readout of those things. And I gave you examples of how different spiritual gifts uh, can end up functioning. But let's take again the gift of prophecy. So this is a spiritual gift. You don't have to be a prophet to have the gift of prophecy. But when you have the gift of prophecy, it is generally uh, something very upbuilding for other people. It's very encouraging, and it makes them feel like they can keep going. All right? Uh, Yeah. And, okay, so the prophecy that the church tends to most focus on is when somebody gets up to a microphone in front of a whole group of people and they will have a word for the congregation. And bravo, hallelujah, thank you Lord for that. But that's not the only way that prophecy operates. It's not the only look that the gift of prophecy has. You've probably had this experience if you're praying for someone and instead of just praying your, I want to make it a good Christian prayer and not make any mistakes, so I pray, oh God, I ask that you bless them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, amen. If you're willing to just pray and be led in your prayer by a scripture that comes to your mind or something, you've probably had that experience when you're praying along and suddenly you feel like you stepped on that people mover and there's a little more motion, there's a little more something that happens and you, you, you end up praying things that you didn't even think, you didn't even know you were going to pray. That can be the gift of prophecy functioning and you didn't announce it as a prophecy, you just, you just did. Uh, maybe you share a scripture with somebody and say, you know, you were on my mind and I, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I, I will offer this to you. And then I had this thought that maybe blah, blah, blah. And sure enough, a week later or something, my goodness, that scripture comes back to this person's mind and they remember what you said as they're facing something that they otherwise wouldn't have known what to do. That is also the, uh, the gift of prophecy and function. We've even been told that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So my point is that any given spiritual can show up in many, many different ways. And perhaps the best example comes in the very next chapter when uh, Paul talks about this other spiritual called love. It's not a spiritual gift, but it is a spiritual. And you probably know this from some poster that you've read somewhere, right? Love is patient and kind, it doesn't act unbecomingly. You know, we have a whole list. What's he saying? That love has many manifestations. 
And sometimes it is the most loving thing to do to be kind. Other times the way that I'm loving you is by just not remembering all the things that you did that you maybe shouldn't have done. Does that make sense? It's one spiritual called love, but many different expressions. In exactly the same way, a single spiritual gift called prophecy can have many, many different manifestations. A, a ministry of an exhorter or of a prophet or of a mercy shower actually can express themselves in several different ways. Now, this becomes very, very important as we move along. So sorry to keep you know, making the same point over. Do you, have I made the point, do you think? What is the point we ask you? Okay. <laughs> so among the spirituals, there are gifts, there are ministries, and these two things can function different ways. Oh, and by the way, there are spirituals like love and uh, faith and hope and peace, joy. We call them the fruit of the Spirit that are spirituals that can also manifest in many different ways. Not everything that is spiritual is a spiritual gift. That's the point I'm trying to make. Have I made that point? Okay. I, I remember way back when, when I was still pretty confused about all this, and I told some of you last evening that I was raised in a more evangelical Bible-only tradition. And one of my arguments against some of my friends who were, were uh, Pentecostals was I would say things like, I'd rather have the fruit of the Spirit than the gifts of the Spirit. And frankly, some of the people who had the gifts of the Spirit could have used a little more fruit of the Spirit, if you know what I'm saying. And now I think back, what a silly, what a silly statement to choose between you don't have to choose between the, the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit. And they are spirituals. And these are all meant to be a more operative part of our life. And I want to grow in all of them. I don't want to just be one of these people. I have the gift of prophecy. Have you met these people that come in and thought, says God. And you think this is not going to be good, right? And there is an anger, a judgmental. I think they haven't read the New Testament. They, they take their, their, their caricature from a few Old Testament stories that they didn't even finish reading because they would know that the, even the prophets who said, you guys are in big trouble, a few chapters later, it's all because God was trying to do them good. So these self-styled prophets come in in the name of the Lord. And man, they are gunning for anyone. There's not a drop of love. And that's why Paul will say in the next chapter, ding dong, ding dong. You can know everything. You can prophesy like a wild man. If you don't have love, you're just a lot of noise. See? So I would say, People who want to function in the spirit as though they've been given license to be lawless and, and run roughshod and stampede over people are not people filled with the spirit. 
And people who don't want to do anything that is spiritual, they just want to, you know, have my character shaped a little bit. (laughs) None of that. I would also say, you're missing so much of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. It is the putting together of all of this with the Word of God, learning how to function in relationship to one another, that the whole body gets built up in love. That's what I want, and I believe that's what you want as well. Amen? Amen? Okay, how are we doing? Can you take 10 more minutes before a break? Okay. All right, good. Um, So, if we follow the rest of this chapter, I'm not reading all of chapter 12, but I want to kind of follow the outline that is here. As I've said, that pretty much from verse 14 through verse uh, 27 is a description of the body. He uses this analogy. So each person has gifts and each person has a, a part of the body that they are. That's your ministry. And um, even though we're each different members, we are all part of the same body. And interestingly, he says, because we know how things work, we actually highlight members of the body. In other words, ministries that aren't really special. They're, they're not so attractive. They don't get a lot of attention from anybody else. And because we know God wants all things to be together, there are actually some ministries that we want to highlight so that we're all in this together. And I believe what he was talking about is, you know, the more public ministries, some people who are, you know, apostles or prophets, and they're, they're used to maybe being up in front of people. They naturally attract a lot of attention, and everybody thinks, oh man, they are like so important, they're so special. Well, yeah, of course, everybody's special. But Paul says, no, we go to the mercy showers, and we go to the people that are behind the scenes, and we want to celebrate and promote them so that there isn't any, um, how would I put it, any, any class system in the body of Christ. We're really in this together. I remember so many years ago, one of the things that my father uh, taught me, he was a really smart guy and he, he read a lot, but there was some philosopher that I remember him quoting more than once. And it, the, the quote goes like this, and I, something I've tried to live by myself. And it's what I see in the scriptures. And the philosopher said, any society that uh, celebrates its philosophers more than its plumbers, neither its philosophies nor its pipes will hold any water. <laughs> Is that good or what? So I think we have to be careful that we don't imagine that some people are important or special in the kingdom and everybody else is not. And it's one of the griefs that I have about, um, I don't know, in different parts of the country, not our country necessarily, but in the world, I get to travel quite a bit, and I encounter people who they want to identify themselves as apostle so-and-so. And 
Eh, I don't know why we identify some people as pastor. That's a gift ministry, okay? And we don't say apostle. So it's okay. I mean, maybe you are an apostle. But I, what I don't like about it is the way that they like, well, you know, I'm an apostle. What am I supposed to do? Oh, man of God. What, I mean, what? Okay. Good for you. Nice to meet you. But they, they, they make the statement as though they're somehow extraordinary. But everybody's extraordinary. And Paul will put it this way. Okay, guys, think about it. What do you have that you weren't given? You're just not that special. I mean, you are, but you're not that special. You're special, but anything that smacks of pride will take spiritual things into the tank. Legalism, trying to get everybody to be good, and pride are maybe the two biggest quenchers of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to think more highly of myself than I'm supposed to think. So what I do think and what I hope you think is that I have been made on purpose. I'm not an accident. I didn't just kind of plop out and God scrambled. Oh, I thought it was going to be a boy. Okay, well, yeah, girl, we'll, we'll come up with something. No, you were made on purpose. And God designs you to function in a very particular way because he wants you to be a special light in the world around you. That's pretty high calling. That's pretty special. And I want to do for my own life and for your life everything possible so that you can live out God's destiny. And when you really, really understand the handiwork of God and His delight in you and His interest in you, you don't have to be that special like some people try to be. Let's be in this thing together is what I'm saying. Okay. Now, I'm trying to get to a final point before the break. And it relates to a verse that some people, in fact, both are cousins who are, are, don't necessarily subscribe to Pentecostal things, who believe that some change has happened in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They are our cousins. And so they will often use this verse, but many well-meaning, well-intended spiritual leaders will use this verse as well because they don't want anybody to feel badly. And the verse that they use, why did I take off my glasses? The verse that they use is verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 12. And so if we just pull this verse out and read it, look what it says. All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? And we pull out that one little statement, all don't speak with tongues. And because our discussion of this chapter generally has fit under the heading of spiritual gifts, and everything that follows, people think, is about spiritual gifts. And it says here, not all speak with tongues, that gets translated into not everybody has the gift of tongues. And so if you have been prayed for, 
to be baptized in the Spirit, and you've said, Lord, I want whatever you have for me, and people have told you we can pray that you have a release of this spiritual language, and then if you end up not speaking in tongues, then well-meaning leaders will say to you, don't worry, it's no problem, because not everybody has this gift. And I understand why we say it, because we don't want people to feel badly. Or maybe you're somebody that you've prayed just a few words in your spiritual language, but then you've got nothing more. You can think maybe, oh my goodness, I've lost this gift. So we'll have more to say about this later, but I want to make a very particular point about this verse, as I say, that just gets pulled out of the context of the entire chapter. So let me ask this this question. If we go back up to, let's read verses 28 on. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles or effectors of miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. So he's mixed together ministries and gifts. He's just throwing all these spirituals in together. And then he asks the question, so let's answer it. All are not apostles, are they? Would you agree with that? Not everybody is an apostle. Do you know what the word apostle means? It means sent one. Um, Have all of us been sent into the world to make disciples? Okay, yes. So maybe you don't have that designation. That's not your body part apostle. But the work of an apostle to spread the message of Jesus is an assignment that everybody has. So I, I, I couldn't say, well, you know, I don't have the gift of, a, of being the apostle, so that's why I don't witness. I'm not an apostle. No, no, that's not what he's saying. Let's take the next one. Um, so all are, not, uh, all are not prophets. Would you agree? All are not prophets. But do you know, just two chapters later, he's going to say, you can all prophesy. And he even tells everybody, uh, you should earnestly desire to prophesy. So do you imagine God says, not everybody gets to, but I want everyone to want to. (laughs) No, it doesn't make any sense. All are not teachers. That's true. And yet we're told to teach one another. Hmm. Uh, All are not workers of miracles. That's true. They don't have this special assignment. And yet the Bible says these signs shall follow those who believe, right? In my name, they're going to do all sorts of miracles. So if we just look at the list so far, it doesn't make any sense to say that if you don't have this gift, or if you don't have this ministry, there are none of the operations or effects of that spiritual that can be true of your life. No, no, he's just saying you might not have a gift, but other things could be going on. Not all have gifts of healings. And yet every one of us can lay our hands on the sick in Jesus' name and see them healed. All do not speak with tongues. Okay, so here's 
part I want to get to, and then we'll have our we'll have our break. The word tongues kind of threw me off for a lot of years, and I'm sad to do this to you, but I always had an image of a big cow tongue. <laughs> and so when they were in the upper room and tongues of fire descended, I pictured these charcoal flaming <laughs> big tongue dropping down everybody's head. And I hope I haven't ruined the Bible for you, but that really got me going. So I make it a practice, instead of saying the word tongue, which is just a language, a distinct language, tongue. It's a language, not a like this. And Paul says, by the way, there's a lot of different languages that you could end up speaking if you're speaking in tongues. They might be, might be uh, languages of angels or languages of people. So all do not speak in tongues is a way of saying all do not pray in a language that they or speak in a language that they don't know. But he in this list is talking specifically about gifts and about ministries. And I'm going to suggest to you that there is an operation, there is a readout, a manifestation, a spiritual that we'll see in the next, uh, in chapter 14, we would call praying in the Spirit, spiritual prayer that isn't the same as the gift of tongues. And that will take me a little unpacking, but I just wanted you to know where we're, where we're headed. Uh, and after the break, I'm going to define spiritual in a way that I think you'll find very useful. And then when we put this together, spiritual, with this word language, and you see an operation, I believe, well, my hope is at least, that you will understand though not everybody has the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. The facility and the ability to pray in a language that I didn't learn on my own is still available to me in exactly the same way. Not everyone has the gift of faith. And yet, there is this thing called faith that every single believer has to have because if I don't have faith, the Holy Spirit isn't inside of me. So just because I don't have the spiritual gift of a spiritual faith doesn't mean there is no faith that might be functioning in my life beyond the limits of that gift. So in the same way, I might not have the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, but that doesn't mean that there's no functioning of that spiritual language that could still take place in my life. And that's what we're going to unpack after the break. Okay? All right. Have a no Oh, Ira, did you want to say anything now or want to do it after the break? They're probably desperate. <laughs> I just want to say that... Uh... We're, we're going to receive our uh, love offering for Daniel when we come back from the break. Uh, if you want to write out a check, uh, please make it out to him directly, Daniel Brown. Or um, you can use the 
the credit card uh, scanner that's uh, in the back of the resource table. Uh, we're, I think there's also a box back there if you want, but we're going to receive it after that. Don't you appreciate uh, his heart as we share? Thanks. All right. Okay. Go on break, and when we come back, we'll do that first.
We're starting again. Okay. Oh, Ira, you have to go up yes. here first. Yeah, Sorry, okay. Daniel. All right. Daniel goes all over the world and uh, is a gracious giver, I would, I would say, just wherever he goes. I remember uh, when Eric passed away, he was here for a week, and he just decided to stay and to be with us, and uh, that's his heart, and I think you can tell that in, uh, in just the way he presents and the way he's giving himself today and the word. So we want to give back to him and bless him and the ministry uh, that, that he has that is a worldwide ministry. Uh, so if you if you need to write a check, just write it out to Daniel Brown, and otherwise. Okay, cross it out and put C C T W. I already instructed people otherwise. That's okay. All right, so let's pray. Lord, thank you. We just uh, bless this man. We bless the ministry uh, that you have given him. This spiritual ministry of being able to uh, just break down things in simple ways for us to be able to grow and to become all that you've called us to be. Bless him with this offering, Lord God. And uh, we thank you for those that are giving, that you would bless them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. The ushers are going to come down and uh, pass the baskets. Or if you need to, there will be a box in the back as well. All right, let's welcome Daniel back up. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm very, very happy to, you know, offer these thoughts from the Word of God. And uh, I promised last night that we would have an opportunity for questions and answers. And I I want to keep my promise to all of you. My dilemma is that I've already gone so far afield from my nice, clear path that I was going to take us forward that I feel a little bit behind what I really want to communicate to you. So in my mind, I'm going to try to hold steady a little bit more so that indeed we can have a time for questions and answers. And I really want to take us to that opportunity at the end of our time today when we can pray for people who have not been baptized in the Spirit, who've never spoken in tongues. And I just believe God's going to do a really wonderful thing for you. But I want to come back to this idea, this scripture, uh, not all speak with tongues, not all speak with tongues. And to uh, move us forward, we have to take a few steps back. And we're going to go to the beginning of this book, chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians. And in just a minute, we'll pull up particular passages to identify what we what we find in the scriptures, what, how do we define spiritual? And for my discussion, I'm talking about spiritual from the Holy Spirit, not anything spiritual from, you know, false uh, gods or anything bizarre. But how do I know that something is spiritual? What are the hallmarks of spiritual? So this has to do with spiritual gifts, spiritual language, 
spiritual behavior. What is spiritual? And Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, gives us two very distinct hallmarks or attributes of something that is spiritual. And I think when you see spiritual from the eyes of the writer of this book, who's talking about spirituals in chapter 12, 13, and 14, I I hope your eyes are going to open up a little bit as mine did not so very long ago. So the first attribute that I will give you of how do we know something is spiritual? I've been kind of saying it off and on during this seminar. And that is that it is by revelation. Uh, Another way of saying it, not of myself. It's not a product of me thinking something through over a period of time. I don't assess the pros and the cons and then come to a decision. Doing that is not wrong or evil. Having a brain and using a brain is not evil. I highly recommend if you have one, use it as much as you can. But however much you use your brain or your natural talents or anything like that, it's still just flesh and blood. And it doesn't really have the power to penetrate and affect uh, the spiritual dimension. Spiritual means that it's by revelation. And we're going to look at a passage here, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. And this is maybe one of the better known. There are many such uh, statements that get made in the scripture. Uh, Jesus will, in his prayer, he said, Father, I thank you that you hide the things of your kingdom from the wise and intelligent, and you reveal them to babes. Okay, so much by revelation. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. So he says, you know, yeah, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. In other words, it's not a wisdom of the world. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And verse 10 is the key here. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Remember we read last evening that the Holy Spirit's job is to take the things of God, that the Father, that go to Christ, and the Spirit takes the things of Christ and reveals them to us. This is what the Spirit does. He brings revelation. A revelation so that I can now say, Jesus is Lord. A revelation slash conviction. Oh God, my sin. Oh God, forgive me. See, this is all the work of the Holy Spirit. And we have access, he'll go on to say, we have access to things that are freely given to us by God. 
Remember I told you the power of the Spirit is that I am granted access to these things that are freely given to me. But how do I receive them? How do I grab them? How do I know about them? The natural mind can't do it. What the natural eye knows to look for, what the natural ear is listening for, they don't work at all. And then he will go on to say, I'm jumping down to verse 14. A natural man does not accept, doesn't um, receive, can't grab a hold of, is another way to translate that. Can't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness. They don't make any sense. They're foolishness to him, and he can't understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual, not spiritual, no, if you're spiritual, you appraise things spiritually. He's just saying you don't use your natural senses to try to make your way forward in the things of God. Your brain is a very useful device. Use it for everything you can. But your brain was never designed to grab a hold of the things of the Spirit. And if you insist on your brain grabbing a hold, uh, you you know, being the tool, you're going to miss them. I remember again, back in my university days, when this was all kind of uh, confusing to me, I had an image, and it was kind of my early experience with God trying to speak to me. And I saw the like stage lights with a yellow filter that got put over them, and of course everything went yellow. And the simple question, I guess, that I, I, I felt or sensed was, if you put your brain as the filter in front of everything that I want to do, what are you going to see? And I realized, duh, everything is going to become brain-colored, which is sort of gross, but you get the, you get the idea. <laughs> hey, what happened? Everything's yellow here. Well, it's only yellow because of the filter. We take the filter off. Oh, wow, look at all this color. And that's really how it is in the spirit. When we have just our own natural facilities and faculties uh, in front of us, then anything that God is wanting to share with us that doesn't mesh with our brain gets filtered out and we think nothing is coming my way. It's not that God isn't doing stuff. It's just that the natural mind can't understand it. Okay, does that make sense? So to be spiritual it means it will be by revelation and not by my own power. I don't come up with this on my own. It's the Lord. Now this begins to have a little implications when we start talking about spiritual language. The language itself isn't spiritual because you could be speaking in the tongue of of other humans. And when the Holy Spirit first descended on the people in the upper room, remember how they spilled out into the street and they began speaking and all kinds of visiting people in the city said, oh my goodness, I didn't, I thought these guys were Jews. I'm from Parthia. How are they speaking my language? The language, the actual vocabulary was not spiritual. It didn't glow in the dark. It's just a language. 
What makes it spiritual? Oh, it has to be somebody who doesn't know the language. And if I don't know it, but I can speak it, that's what makes it a spiritual language. Does that make sense? Not the words themselves. There's nothing magic about them. What is the miracle is that I can speak what didn't come from my own brain. So the scripture says that they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, in your mind, when we will pray for you later, and when you begin to express something of your love for God and the mysteries of the kingdom, you're going to try very hard to listen for the language that you don't know. It's an exercise in futility, dear friends. (laughs) And you will conclude, I don't know the language. That's what makes it spiritual. But because we're so used to our mind knowing things, it seems, well, impossible to know something I don't know. How can I speak a language I don't know? That's the point. All right, well, I'll have more to say about that later. I just want you to understand, if it is spiritual language, you don't know it. It's not spooky. It's just unknown. The second quality or trait of spiritual is very, very similar. But I'll give you another scripture uh, too. So the first trait is that it's by revelation. The second is that, well, it's kind of nonsensical. Uh, We would say, sounds kind of silly or foolish foolish sounding. This doesn't make any sense. This is nuts. And the Bible word for this is mysterious. Okay, let me give you a a scripture and then we're going to define this a bit more. So go to chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. He says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world uh, and the despised things that people think nothing of, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. Okay, I mean, that can be... What's 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 he really saying here? Well, he has kind of made a rude statement just before this, and he says, all right, now let's see how God works in the world. I know. Why don't you think of your neighbor? Okay, I rest my case, he says. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. In other words, when God wanted to introduce this message, he didn't go to the aristocracy and the rich and the government and try to convince them what to believe, and that would then spread to everybody else. He says, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to the nobodies. 
I'm going to the nothings, and I'm going to use stuff that the natural world says, what? What am I looking? I don't see anything. And God is going to use those mustard seeds that people dismiss, and those little things are going to become humongous things that change everything. Now, when he says uh, God has chosen the foolish things of the world, it's not foolish like, you know, he's not saying be an airhead for Christ. Yeah, I'm real spiritual. No, it's not foolish that way. It, we, we would say it's more like, it's not totally clear. What uh, the word mystery, and I think this is where some of our cousins get confused. They take the word mystery and not knowing how the Bible use it, uses it, they think, and they start becoming mysterious, which just makes all normal people want to get away from them. Nobody except the religious people wanted to get away from Jesus. Little kids wanted to come right up to him. And I'll recommend to you that Jesus was the most spiritual person that ever has lived. And spiritual doesn't make people like, oh God, I hope he doesn't notice me and walk away. Spiritual doesn't knock people away like a force field of bizarre behavior. No, spiritual is so attractive. It's so winsome. It's so, oh, I... I, I don't know what it is about you, but do you mind if I just kind of hang out here and have it rub on me a little bit? Apparently not. Sorry. Okay, well, I'll step right back and try to... <laughs> Some things are hard to put into words, but spiritual is not mysterious, spooky. It's, it's more like a, a password, and once you know it, it's no big deal. All right, all right, I'm going to give you the biggest mystery of the day right now. You want to write this down, I promise you. This is big. Oh, you'll remember it. It's, it's okay. You, here it is. Are you ready? This is pure mystery. 3980. Are you with me? Maybe I should repeat it so you really grab it. 3980. That's not doing much for you? Huh. It's my PIN number. Huh. And in theory, if you could get my bank card, you could go to any machine, stick in my bank card, punch 3980, and in theory, ka-chink, 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 all this money is going to come out. Now, in practice, you can punch it all in, and it's just going to, you know, when the machine's trying to produce money and there's none in the account. If you want to put any money in, knock yourself out. <laughs> 3980 doesn't exactly excite anybody unless you know what it's the key to. And that's God. He says, I couldn't possibly have given a 17-digit complicated PIN code to my people. They would never remember it. So I'm going to keep it really, really simple. And the things of the Spirit are not mysterious, strange. They are so simple, once I understand them, oh my goodness, I can use them to function all the time. Does that make sense? 
So we don't have to get weird. But we have to understand if it is spiritual, first of all, it won't come from me. So I'm going to feel like I don't know this. And secondly, it's going to seem like nothing. What's the big deal? That's nonsense. That's gibberish. It doesn't make any sense. And it's very interesting to me that, again, our cousins, because we have a very large, big family, seem to forget about a lot of other verses in this book. And they will take a statement, like somebody speaking in tongues, and they say, I don't know what that means, and it doesn't seem like anything. It's like nothing. And they take those two reasons and conclude that this cannot be from God. And yet, you read the scriptures, and it seems to be exactly the opposite, the case. That God intentionally chooses things that natural people will dismiss. He intentionally hides his purposes from the rulers and the wisdom of this age. And didn't you love the ironic statement he makes? Now think about it. If the rulers of this age had understood the wisdom of God, that Jesus needed to die so that people could be forgiven. <laughs> okay? The cross that seems like, that's ridiculous. How foolish is that? The cross is the wisdom of God. And if the rulers of the age had known what the battle plan would be, they wouldn't have crucified him. And make no mistake, some of the things that God hides from the natural facilities are the very key to what he wants to do to bring even more release and blessing into our lives. I remember my... Well, I'll tell that story a little bit later. Okay. So now we're going to come back to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. I know this is a lot, everyone. I know it's a lot of Bible study, but it's just really, really important so that we can answer questions. The simple question, can everyone pray in the Spirit? Can everyone pray in the Spirit? So I'm suggesting to you that, that the word tongues here is really the word languages. And there is a spiritual gift of these languages, meaning the spiritual language, a language that I didn't learn on my own, and a language that's probably going to sound like nonsense to me because I don't know the significance of 3980. The question is, is there a difference between the spiritual gift of having this spiritual language and just a spiritual called spiritual language that I can exercise to pray? And to begin answering that question, I'm actually taking you on to chapter 14. I bet you thought we would never get there. I skipped over chapter 13, which is describing the spirituals of faith, hope, and love, none of which are spiritual gifts, none of which are spiritual ministries, but they are still spirituals. And uh, we're going to read 
verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14. He says, pursue love, this spiritual called love. Go after it, and yet also desire earnestly spirituals. Once again, the word gifts is not in the original text. Go after love and go after all things of the Spirit, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Okay, let me repeat that verse. One who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Okay. So when a person is speaking in tongues, according to this verse, to whom is he speaking? To God. And what's happening to him? Oh, I guess this verse doesn't say. Well, <laughs> ah, what's wrong with you? Do a Bible study. Oh, whoops. <laughs> We know one of the things that happens, okay, my bad. One of the things that happens when we pray in the Spirit is we are building ourselves up in love. And he will say in the next verse that the one who prophesies uh, is exhorting and edifying and consoling other people. All right? So the gift of prophecy has this amazing effect on other people. When he is, this person is just praying in the Spirit. Um, other people aren't even understanding what's being said, and he's speaking to God. Now, don't lose your place, but just flip back to chapter 12 for just a moment and read verse 7. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And down to verse well that'll be enough. Okay, there's another one. Spiritual gifts are for the benefit of other people. For instance, I don't have a prophecy for myself. Right? I don't lay hands on myself, thus says the Lord. Indeed, you will. I mean, you can try it, but it doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really work. I don't need to have a word of knowledge for myself. Thus says the Lord. Back in third grade, your teacher was Mrs. Miller. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> Spiritual gifts are not self-applied. Spiritual gifts are always to benefit and touch other people. Does that make sense? The gift of faith, right? Not the same thing as faith unto salvation, but the spiritual gift of faith. If spiritual gifts are for the sake of other people, then me having the gift of faith is not just, oh yeah, I believe, oh, I believe, thank you, Lord. 
No, if it's a spiritual gift of faith, then because I believe, people around me are suddenly going to believe more than they did before. It spreads, it affects, it touches other people. That's the very definition of a spiritual gift. Does that make sense? Would you grant me that? So if I am speaking or praying in the Spirit... And that prayer is not, that speaking is not going to other people. But it is simply building and edifying and encouraging me. By very definition, that effect, that operation of spiritual language cannot be the same as the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. Does that logic make sense? If I am the primary recipient of the good of the spiritual, that spiritual is not a gift. It's just a spiritual. So we find this kind of duality, two different ways that spiritual language can manifest. One is that I am praying. I'm just doing business with God and He is arranging and doing things inside of me. And another operation of spiritual language that turns it into the spiritual gift is when I am speaking and either the people understand what I'm saying because though I don't know Parthian, I'm speaking what God puts in my heart and Parthian's do understand what I'm saying. That makes it a spiritual gift because these people understand it. It's designed to do them good, not to do me good. So Paul will go on to say in chapter 14, he describes kind of a funny situation in a way, He says, you know, basically, I'm really excited how spiritual you are and how you're feeling and stuff, but just recognize there are, there are appropriate times to do and engage in various spiritual things. And if you are uh, in a public setting, you don't help anybody by walking up to them and instead of saying, hey, how you doing? Are you, are you new here? Instead of saying that, you begin speaking to them in tongues. Because if you do speak in tongues rather than, in our case, English or maybe Spanish, you know, they're going to like, thanks for sharing. (laughs) And they're going to leave because they'll conclude, you people are lunatics, you're barbarians, you're crazy people. If you use spirituals inappropriately or in the wrong timing, the wrong way, nobody is blessed Everybody just concludes you're a kook. So he says, you know, when we're gathered together with a lot of people, I would rather speak five words in a language that everybody can understand rather than 10,000 words in a language that nobody can understand. Because this whole spiritual thing is not about look at me. Oh, I'm so spiritual. If you really are spiritual, then you do good to and you affect the people around you. And so sometimes 
what you're going to do, you should do in your prayer closet when there's nobody around. Don't do your prayer closet thing in the midst of people. There was this one guy I knew long ago, and this is a kind of for instance, and he wanted people to know that when he was wearing his baseball cap in church or at home, that people should know he's praying. Please do not disturb me. If his hat was off, yeah, talk. If his hat's on, don't talk. I'm praying. I'm like, give me a break. Go in your closet and pray. If you don't like humans, what are you doing here? What are we supposed to Oh, man of God. Okay. Oh, well, yeah, good enough. I feel guilty. I don't probably pray as much as you. What are you communicating? You're not communicating what God himself would want to communicate because you've gotten confused about the appropriate and proper use of spiritual things. They're not little merit badges that we wear. Okay? So I don't know if I've made my point. What is the point you're trying to make? Let me say it once more. <laughs> A spiritual, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues will either be when you speak a language you don't know, but the people around you do know it, and so they receive the blessing. Or the gift of tongues can manifest when you speak in a language that you don't know, and somebody else who doesn't know the language uh, is able to interpret what you said to people. And if it doesn't get to people, if that's not the target, then it's not the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. It can still be the spiritual language. And the Bible has a lot to say about the benefits that come to us uh, when we are praying in the Spirit. One, for instance, I've already given to you, is that when I'm praying in the Spirit, I am building myself up. I am strengthening myself in the ability to withstand the stuff that comes against me. I always picture those little punchy bag, uh, you know, that you get for grandkids, and then you have to show them how to do it, of course. You blow it up. They got the sand at the bottom, and you, you punch it. Oh, it goes over and comes back. You know, it goes over and comes back. Look, no, I don't know you're quite ready. Let, let, let me help you a little. You know, it's kind of fun. But it always comes back up. Why? It's edified. It's grounded. And when we have our feet on the Word of God, tethered there, then when stuff happens, even if I get knocked over, my feet don't leave that rock and I bounce back up. And I will say today, it seems to me so many Christians are swimming. They're not tethered to the Word of God. And so they get knocked about by every wind of doctrine that comes along. So, yes, when I'm grounded in the Word of God, when I'm praying in the Spirit, I'm, 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 I'm building myself up. I'm edified. Uh, sometimes, do you know, that when we're praying in the Spirit, we are declaring mysteries about God that we don't 
No, probably that our brain couldn't even grab a hold of, even if we did know what it was. And we're worshiping him. We're just we're speaking stuff about God that we probably won't be able to fully understand when we get to heaven, when we will know him as we have been known. <laughs> oh my goodness. And everybody will keep falling down. Lord, thank you. Hallelujah. You're so amazing. They get back up. Oh my goodness, God, thank you. You're so amazing. So much revelation will come to us. That's why we're going to be praising God like forever. <laughs> so down here on earth, I mean, I don't know what your Uh, praise time is like. I don't know if you even put the praise of God on your lips. It's a really important big thing to do. Um, But anyway, oh, thank you, Lord. Uh, Hallelujah. Uh, um, Bless you, God. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. Bless you. You're wonderful. Amen. Is that kind of your thank you, Lord, prayer time? Imagine to be able to be speaking things without getting plugged up with your brain. Oh, I mean, that to me is exciting. Uh, Here's another one, guys. You'll really like this. The scriptures tell us that sometimes um, when we're praying in the Spirit, it's in groanings too deep for words. Gentlemen, this should be our theme verse. Is if you're your girlfriend, or if your wife wants to know, what are you feeling? How are you, how are you feeling? What's, what's going on? This, by the way, is your cue to ask her how she's feeling. And then if that doesn't get you any traction, ask her how she's feeling about how she's feeling. And oh my goodness, we will be in a conversation. But most of us guys, remember, we were chromosome washed, and so there's not a whole lot left to, to, you know, to work with. It says, well, what are you feeling? And I, I'm trying, but my arm, you know, my vocabulary arm that's reaching down into my soul, it's, it's, it's dwarfed. It doesn't go all the way down. And I can't quite get to it. And my wife wants to know, what are you feeling down there? I don't really know. I'm trying. So you make up a few feeling words, and sometimes that works, right, guys? Sometimes it, it doesn't at all. But we, we try. Uh, anyway. I mean, yes, now I can pray in the Spirit, and these are too deep for my vocabulary. And what is God praying when he who searches the Spirit of God also searches my Spirit and connects the two? Oh, my goodness. And what about you know, your spirit is so, you know, yay God. It's like your spirit is ready to go all the time. And your spirit, I hate to tell you this, is looking forward to the day when he can trash this husk <laughs> that you call a body. That is so, I mean, you know, your spirit is ready to go in the morning and has got to wait for you to wake up. What is that all about? I mean, your spirit is so impatient to read your Bible and talk to God and everything. You drag yourself into the kitchen. And I suspect there are times when your spirit is like, oh, I'm looking forward to the day when I get my new body. Right, okay. So, do you know that sometimes when you pray in the spirit, Because you're always praying according to the will of God. That's what it says. That's your guarantee. When I'm praying in the Spirit, I don't have to say, Lord, if it is your will, I'm praying according to the will of God. 
I'm not always praying like that in English. So I imagine that there have been times when, let's say my prayer in English is like, Lord, I, I, you know that I want to be willing to be willing to be willing to go over here, but I'm not really sure. And so if you could arrange this and that to make me okay about it, then, 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 then I kind of say provisionally, yes, O Lord. Okay, that's my English prayer. Oh, when you're praying in the Spirit, what's your spirit praying? Oh, God, don't listen to him. He has no idea what he's talking about. Open up both barrels. Give it to me all, God. Give it to me all. We say yes. I say yes for me. I say yes for him. Go for it. Okay. What is not to like about this? So, great benefits for praying in the Spirit. And this privilege is granted to every single daughter, son of God, who wants to access it. I will remind you again, because it's a spiritual language. And by the way, there's several manifestations, several things that happen as a result of people being baptized with the Spirit. And I have no idea why our Pentecostal cousins, dear ones that I love and so forth, uh, back in the beginning of the last century, you think I'm old, these people, they, they did a long time ago, they came up with what I consider to be a, a I, well, I, okay, here's what they said, that speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of being baptized in the Spirit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a, I speak in tongues, and I believe every single person who is baptized in the Holy Spirit can speak in tongues. They might not all end up with the gift of tongues, but I believe this unknown language uh, is available and you can pray in that language. Every single person who's baptized in the Spirit. But if you read just the record from the book of Acts, there's actually four indications that follow on the heels of somebody being baptized or filled with the Spirit. One is that they receive an extraordinary boldness to just evangelize and spread the word. It's unexplainable. Wow, you're crazy, really? And they just go for it. Another is uh, that they see into the invisible dimension like Stephen did when he was being stoned. And they, they, they just see stuff in the Spirit. Hallelujah. That is also a result of being baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the, the, the third one is that people can prophesy. <laughs> because you've been baptized in the Spirit, now you have this release. And uh, we see people prophesying after being baptized with the Spirit almost as frequently as speaking in tongues. And that is the fourth one, to speak in a language that you never learned. I do not know why our friends long ago decided to just pick one of those, and they did use this expression, and I know where that came from, initial physical evidence. Okay. And some Pentecostals wear their tongue talking like a, like, a, like a Boy Scout badge. Yeah, yeah, I remember when I did that. I, I spoke in tongues. I got that merit badge. No, it's supposed to be a part of our life, something that we're doing all the time for the benefit. But that phrase, initial physical evidence, if I do a little history and take you back to the very end of the previous century and the first 
part. This is when Darwinism and the origin of the species was really coming out. And there was a great debate in society between the quote, quote, scientific mind and those Christians. And the evolutionists used this phrase, we have physical evidence of evolution because we've found these old dinosaur bones. And so the church, not to be outdone, oh, oh, we'll do that too. And so we also have physical evidence of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. I'm not trying to mock anyone. I just, I don't find it useful to try to take a long ago phrase that probably spoke to that society and insert it in our day to day when it's not really an issue. If if I say to you, it may not be the initial evidence because you might prophesy before you speak in tongues. That does not mean that I, I no, I'm too many negatives. That does not believe, mean that I don't believe. Let me just say positive. Everybody who is baptized in the Holy Spirit can receive a release of their spiritual language. That is not the same as their spiritual gift. And in a little bit, if you will allow me, I want to um, pray for any of you that would say, yeah, I, I would love to be baptized in the Spirit, I, I, and I would like to pray in tongues. So if you've never been baptized in the Spirit, never simply said, Lord, overflow me, flood me, fill me with your Spirit, even as Jesus said to his disciples before he was crucified, he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed upon them. And we would say that's the moment probably that those men became believers. They received the Holy Spirit. But to those same people, Jesus said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, until you receive this, this power. So for me, my understanding is that the receiving of the Spirit and the being baptized or filled with the Spirit uh, can be two separate things. They can happen at the same time. I've seen people, uh, you know, been there when they got uh, uh, baptized in water, came up out of the waters of baptism, fully uh, uh, praying in the Spirit. Their, their conversion and their uh, baptism in the Spirit happen at the same time. That can happen. But there can also be a separation of some amount of time. And um, that's what I want to do in just a bit, is to pray for any of you that would be interested. It'll be your choice. Nobody's going to be singled out or made to feel awkward. And if you're someone who says, well, I've been prayed actually several times to be baptized with the Spirit, but I've never spoken in tongues, I guess I, guess I don't have that gift. I have faith that you will pray in the Spirit once you understand, maybe I don't have that gift, but it doesn't mean I don't have that facility. Okay? Now, I have other things to say about praying for you, but I'm going to set them aside just for a few minutes to see if we have questions about anything that I've talked about. And then if you're interested, I'll continue on talking about that so that we can come to a moment to pray for you so that you can have that release of your spiritual language. I apologize 
for the many things that I haven't had an opportunity to say. There was lots more I was going to do in chapter 14. Um, But even though the spirit is willing, our flesh is only so capable and I'm already taxing you to to the limits. So if we can just put a semicolon here and say, of course, there's much more that could be said, I want to see if you have any questions about, we'll start with any questions about anything that I've said last night or today, and then I'll give you opportunity to ask questions about pretty much anything you want to ask about relative to the Holy Spirit. Would that be okay? And then we'll transition into a time of ministry uh, for all of you. Okay, so um, do you have any any questions, anything you'd like me to clarify, say another time about what spiritual is, about the difference between spiritual gifts and spiritual ministries, or anything else that we've, we've covered. And I think we have a microphone so that you can be heard. Okay. People can probably hear me without using this. <laughs> so... One of the things I have people asking all the time is how do they know when we've been prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how do they know they've received that? How do they know that they have been baptized in the Spirit? Okay, thank you for that question. Well, uh, we know, well, I would say it's instantaneous. I mean, in the same way that if somebody prays, Jesus, come into my heart, they pray the sinner's prayer, they, they, they get converted, whatever language you want to use. Uh, the instant that they say, Lord, forgive me, I surrender my life, that happens at that very moment. And not everybody has a sensation, a bodily sensation, after getting converted. Okay? I mean, that would be an interesting question. Would you mind if I ask... How many of you, thinking back the moment that you came to Christ, that you surrendered your life, you became a Christian, you welcomed Jesus into your heart, whatever language we would would use, how many of you would say, oh my goodness, I felt something like a flood of warm water or, oh my, I, I had a bodily sensation. Yeah, hold up your hand, look around so you can see one another. And that's generally what I find, about 40% of the people will say, when I came to Christ, my goodness, the bells began ringing and it was, it was glorious. Uh, others of us were like, eh, I don't know, nothing, nothing seemed to happen. But we will mark that day as the point when things began to change, right? And we look back and say, okay, now I know something that happened. I used to love to party on and now I can't be bothered. What has happened to me? Oh, right, I became a Christian. Okay, so you you mark that day, and it's pretty much the same ratio I would say of people who ask to be filled or baptized in the Spirit, who some have a pretty profound experience, and about sixty percent, my observation, nothing at all. This is why it's pretty exciting and helpful to be able to pray in an unknown language because there ain't no denying that. And I think the enemy likes to back us away from the manifestation so that we can maybe think we're not, you know, he can keep that doubt going in our mind. But I will also say that our Pentecostal friends sometimes are a little extreme and because of that statement, they, some will say, 
if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I reject that completely. The fruit of the Spirit in my life tends to develop over time. And I know I came to Christ. My sins were forgiven. His character gets worked in me and I become more spiritually minded. It's a walk and a journey with the Lord. Now, I'm going to say again, the instant that you ask to be baptized with the Spirit, I believe by the Spirit a language that you do not know that sounds like nonsense to you is, I don't know, deposited in your spirit or your spirit is fluent in that language instantly. The problem that we'll get to in just a few minutes is the blockage between <laughs> my spirit and my, and my brain. Okay, but great question. This is the sort of practical uh, question I really want to try to answer. Yes, there's one over here. Um, yes, um, we were talking earlier about, you know, I've, I've been baptized in the Spirit for a prayer language, and we were talking about getting stuck like for instance i just um repeat one sentence over and over and over yeah uh -huh. i didn't know if you wanted to touch on that at all i would love to answer that question Thank yeah you. so the, the, if i could frame the question it would be all right i got a few words um this particular lady was sharing with me that she she's got one sentence and this was from years ago and she just repeats that sentence over and over. And she says, I've said it so many times. Phonetically, I could actually write it out. I mean, it's that consistent. Um, is that really all that there is? And this is what I explained to her. And it ties in with the question we've just had. Remember, spiritual means I don't know it with my mind. Now, the first time that you began giving expression to this language that your brain doesn't know. Well, first your brain will tell you, hey, what are you talking about? We don't know that language. What? These people are crazy. How do you expect me to talk in a language that I don't know? So first it will try to tell you, you don't have a language. I don't have a language. I would be the first to know if you've got a language. I'm your mind, for crying out loud. And I heard nothing. So you got nothing. If you can set your brain aside a little bit and just begin to speak as the Spirit gives you utterance, your brain will quickly change its tune. <clears throat> and the brain goes like this. Oh, oh, well, oh, okay, okay, all right, right, right. Yeah, so that, okay, I did know that, right, fine, fine. And no problem, we can continue. Because your brain, your ears have heard your Spirit speak, your brain has heard it, and now your brain says, oh, well, let me pray that for you. So your brain begins to pray these nonsense syllables. But because it's your brain, it doesn't know anymore. That's why you repeat the same things, because it's you're praying with your understanding rather than with your spirit. And Paul says, oh my goodness, I pray with both. I pray with my understanding, but I also pray with the spirit. In this case, the few words that you got have kind of been hijacked by your natural thinking. And now your natural thinking is repeating them. It's not evil. It's nothing, nothing bad. But 
Your brain just can't offer you a way forward in the things of the Spirit. It's like Johnny come lately. It always lags behind. But it doesn't like being a latecomer to this party, so it doesn't want you to go on any further. Just, okay, look, we did the Spirit thing, right? Let's just stay together. But I don't know, buddy, I'm not staying with you because there are mysteries and I want to go with the Lord. Doesn't mean you become mindless. It just means you become wise in knowing that the natural person cannot apprehend the things of the Spirit. Okay, other questions maybe. Yes, back over there in the corner. Yeah, you know, um, I've heard that, um, you know, when people you know, are in conversation with the Lord, that the Lord's telling them this and they're telling them that. And my question is, is um, if one keeps trying to do that, and I know it's not a matter of trying or doing anything right or doing anything wrong, but if one's not getting that sign, if there's nothing coming down, how does one get in the zone, I guess, to... (laughs) be in communication with him and actually being able to have him tell you something when you're just going, yikes, yeah. I'm getting nothing here. Yeah. I'm trying, you know. <laughs> Are there any other questions? <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's it's fantastic question. The The answer is a little bit broader than what we're doing today, but if you don't mind me giving you a, a, a little bit of a thought, I don't want you to think, oh, that's all there is, buddy. You've got to just make, make, make do, okay? The, what we call the communion with God, this is what we all want, fellowship with God, koinonia, friendship, that close uh, connection. We love reading about how the Holy Spirit Uh, sticks closer to us than a good friend, that he's the called alongside one, the the nearby aid giver who just always wants to be there for you. That's that's the Holy Spirit. And then, at least if you're like me, you kind of contrast that with my, huh? I, I don't feel very attentive or very clued in to the things of God. And when we listen to some people talking, because how they're communicating is different than how they were receiving from the Lord, it can make it sound like we're, we're dense. I didn't say that well. Let me put it another way, kind of as an example for where we're headed here. When you receive a prophetic word as a gift that you're going to speak to other people. The way that it mostly will come, probably a a, a picture in your mind with one or two scriptures that inform you what's being said, and then you know the word of the Lord based on this picture, scriptures, and you can speak it. When you speak it, it's generally complete sentences. You have connected the dots. Remember, as a youngster, well, now we have to go way back, in the museum, uh, you may have seen these little draw-by-the-numbers that kids used to, you know, one, two, three. And when it's all done, whoa, it's a sailboat. I'm not so visual or artistic. I would have to finish it all. And then it's like, I think that's a sailboat. Well, in the kingdom, that's a lot how stuff is. 
you connect the dots with this little, hmm, that scripture, oh, interesting, that conversation I had with that guy two days ago, and you piece it together and you're able to give a prophecy or share the word of the Lord and everybody's like, wow. But how you receive it to be able to give it is never that complete. And there's always this element of, ooh, okay, in faith, I have something that's not so pieced together. I'm going to piece it together with my lips, offer it to you, and see if it does something. So probably all of us feel a bit spiritually dense, and I don't actually have a lot of trust for people that are like, oh yeah, me and God, I mean, you know, we're like this. Well, I am too, but apparently it doesn't have my email, or I, I don't. What gave you such an inside track? And people that seem to suggest that, I don't always trust. Now, having said that, the more that you read your Bible, day after day, even when you feel like I'm getting nothing out of it, start being attentive to just a phrase or a a part of a verse or something that seems to stick in your mind. And then what I do is I just suck on those things, like those big old, remember those jawbreakers? They, I'm sure they're illegal. Somebody was sued for them. But they were like this big. You remember those multicolored layers? And if you can, you know, you get it in your mouth, you can't even, you have to suck a little bit. And then you want to pull, oh, it's purple. <sighs> oh, it's green. I love this. It's like. That's the mystery. That's why you suck. That's where your jaw hurts. Well, sorry. <laughs> Little TMI. That's what I like to do with Bible verses. Hmm. The scriptures call it meditating on it. I don't do it like all day long. I don't wear a baseball cap. No, no. Don't, don't, don't bother me. I'm... And there's a verse that says, in the way of your testimonies, O God, have I waited for you. So I think of it a little bit like deer hunting also, that I get in these waterways, these trails that God frequents, and I'm just waiting for him to alert me to something there. I don't often hear a lot of response back. I pray, I let my requests be known to God, but then I'm just on the lookout for very little things. And I grab a hold of them. I don't know, is this the Lord, is this me? But I just know they feel a little bit different. Why? I wouldn't normally think that. And so I'm going to grab a hold of it. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm personally facing a really interesting transition in my, um, well... <laughs> I was given a pretty big gift a number of years ago, and uh, and I wasn't ready to retire, so I just spent future years of salary on doing ministry. Hallelujah! I'm so excited. Well, 2018, I've spent my future, so there's not only no future, there's no salary, there's no there's Hallelujah! I'm pretty excited about this. I, I mean, I really am. It's like. Whoo, whoo. Who knows what it will be? But I'm, I'm kind of was geared up for, okay, Lord, I'm going to really pray. And I was talking with Pastor Ira at lunch uh, yesterday. And, you know, no big deal. We're just chit-chatting a bit. 
And he said something which I have forgotten, but the Lord said something to me while he was saying it. And it went something like this. Oh, it's not going to be such a big struggle of faith. Not everything has to be a big... And so little little tiniest promise prompting, because most of God's words to us are promises. And I thought, I believe that. So now, not only am I excited about what's going up, I believe God said it's not going to be one of those you storm heaven. Just watch me. Now, see, when I say it to you, didn't that sound profound? Then like, oh, man of God. (laughs) We were eating pizza, for crying out loud. He said a little something, and I just snatched, because I think God whispered. The more you look for the little things that don't seem like big things, probably the more you'll hear the Lord. Jesus gave that parable of the mustard seed, and he says, this is how the kingdom works. It starts with something that is so tiny, you're tempted to dismiss it. But if you grab a hold of it, that thing gets roots, and it eventually becomes such a large tree that uh, birds of the air, and you know, that image... Well, most people don't know that that's referring back to a frequently used image in the Old Testament that describes an empire. And God says, I build my kingdom and I change the economy and the administration of things in your life through mustard seeds. So that's a very partial little little answer. Okay, I'll take maybe two or three more. I see one here, one there. And was there one over there? Well, you guys think of one, and then we'll have a question in each section. So I guess we'll start back over there. Is this on? Someone back here. Sorry, I There's somebody coming. Who's talking? Sorry. Oh, back there. You're in the sound booth. Okay. All right. So I have maybe a twofold question. One is in that scripture there, and you might have already touched on this, but um, speaking in tongues publicly, like before, without interpretation... When speaking in tongues really just edifies yourself, it says, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you have a revelation. I mean, I know that when I did, it spoke to my heart in ways that I couldn't put words to, that I couldn't even understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, however, like when you pray for someone like you would, and you prayed for all of us in tongues, would what's your thought on that? Oh, okay. In a so- public setting, and even then taking it privately, if I was praying for Joe here, in tongues how would that do you know what i'm saying like if it's I think just I for do. yourself or is it can that spirit speak things unknown to him and him receive it okay Does okay that make sense? I'm, so i'm going to have a three part answer to your two part question how about that okay i'll do i'll do you up one uh, so open our bibles back up chapter 14 and we've already read verse 2 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So if I ask you, when you're speaking in tongues, to whom are you speaking, and you're reading your Bible, your answer is going to be to God. It's simple. All right. But then if I jump you over to verse 21, let's read verse 21. In the law, the Old Testament, okay, It is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, and even so, they will not listen to me. 
So when God, this is a prophecy about tongues. So when God, he says, I want to talk to my people. And one of the ways I'm going to do it is through a foreign language that they don't know. So in this case, if I'm the fulfillment of that prophetic word, and I'm speaking in tongues, it could very well be God who wants to say something to this person is doing it through me. So in that case, if I'm speaking in tongues, to whom am I speaking? God or to people? People. And you can quickly see the problem. Well, which is it? And if I have an idea that that spiritual language only has one effect, one manifestation, I have to choose, is it me speaking to God or God speaking through me? But if I understand that spiritual language can be used, well, like in English, I use the language, English, to pray, and I use the language, English, to prophesy. So which is it? Well, it's not about the language. It's about the assignment that God gives me, and I use the same language to pray to Him, to worship Him, and also to prophesy to other people. And I'm trying to suggest that spiritual language is like, in our case, English. And it can be used in many different ways or settings, not just as the spiritual gift. Okay, so that's my first part of the answer. (laughs) Now, the question that I get a lot is, is it appropriate to speak in tongues when there is no interpretation? And I grew up thinking, oh my goodness, if there's ever a a tongue spoken, that's the problem with those Pentecostals. There's no interpretation, and so they're violating Scripture. And the tone behind it was, Arr. When you read chapter 14, Paul is just saying, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, hey, when you're with a bunch of people, don't try to talk to one another in spiritual language because they won't know what you're saying. They get no edification from it, and they're going to actually think that you're nuts. So it's not like, if there's no interpretation and you speak in tongues, you're going to hell. No, it's just, think about other people. So, does that make sense? Now, the third part that might be the more particular. If in a public setting, this is my belief, in a public setting, when we are worshiping the Lord together, Is it okay for me to sometimes want to speak or sing in the Spirit in the midst of this whole group of people are worshiping the Lord? And I would say, if I'm not distracting the people around me, it's perfectly acceptable. If I'm praying, and the whole of us are praying to the Lord, and I then pray not only in English, but I also pray in the Spirit. It's my prayer to God. Everybody knows that we are praying to the Lord. We're speaking to Him. And if you're bothered by what I'm doing, why are you eavesdropping on my prayer anyway? Okay? But we have to do things seemly and in order. 
And if in the name of being a Pentecostal, I'm just going to speak in tongues nice and loud because that's what I do and hum-da-bum-da stuff happens when I pray like that. I would say, oops, there's something about your thinking that's a little bit off because he says, we do this decently. We do this in order. He will say later in this chapter, do not forget that the spirit of the prophet is always subject to the prophet. And what can happen is people who don't know that, their spirit, this will sound strange, so bear with me, their spirit of this quote-quote prophetic voice usurps the place that they're supposed to have and overrides the person. And if they will override themselves, do you know what I'm saying? They have no worries about overriding everything. And one of the marks of a truly spiritual person is that they walk in this attitude of submission. So as long as I'm not being distracting, perfectly fine for me to quietly Uh, barely moving my lips, sometimes just in my mind I'm praying in the Spirit. I'm mindful of the people around me. Now the question is, can I lay hands on somebody praying in the Spirit mysteries and things for their sake? Um, And I would say yes indeed, because there is an intercessory element. Some of my prayers are just for me. Some of my prayers would be to bless you, but I might also intercede for you. Let's say if you're facing a really horrible spiritual pressure and I want to get in between that and remove that so you have, when I'm praying in the Spirit, I can be praying in all the same ways that I could be praying in English. If I, if I, that just helped me to think of it as a language like English. What do I do in English? Oh, that's what I could do in my spiritual language. Did that answer your two-part question? Okay, so we have another one over here, and then one more up here, and then I think I'm going to have to close the question and answer period uh, and move on. Okay, yes, sir. Pastor Daniel, thank you so much for last night. Thank you for this morning. I think it's part four to my sister's question. Uh, I love what you said, Pastor, about my cousins, and I spent a lot of time with my cousins, uh, but one of the things maybe you could add part four to is I hear this a lot uh, in a really public gathering Pastor Daniel rather than let's all be bold in our faith I hear let's all speak in tongues and I think you're speaking to that so what would you say in me helping some of my cousins yeah who would okay. question me when I go hey hang on a second isn't this and so what would you say to that Pastor okay Daniel? yes I <laughs> I'm, I'm only chuckling because I only want to be kind and loving and gracious, but I still want to whack people that are nuts. <laughs> okay. So that, that, that's my dilemma. And I also believe I have not met many insincere followers of Christ. I'm sure there are some out there. I'm sure there are charlatans. I, I haven't encountered so many of them. So I always give people the benefit of the doubt that this is an earnest desire that they have. And so the, 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 the phrase, bold in our faith, sounds very biblical. And I would just say that our danger is when we have religious phrases and cliches and terminology 
that are not tethered to specific scriptures. I don't know that that phrase, bold in faith, ever gets associated with speaking in tongues out loud. Well, I can tell you, it doesn't. So right off, we got something a little bit unscriptural, not necessarily evil. And then I would point them back to 1 Corinthians 14. All right, if you are sure there is no person in this room or about to come into this room that is not a tongue-talking Pentecostal and you really feel prompted, then maybe okay. But what are we praying about? Are we trying to just validate to everybody around us we are tongue-talkers? Or... Are you asking us, let's pray in an intercessory way for our country, or let's pray against this obstacle? You, you wouldn't just say, come on, everybody, be bold in your faith. Just everybody pray. Well, about what? It's, it seems to me not very good direction. And what I really bristle at, and you would have to decide whether it's a godly bristling on behalf of the downtrodden, or whether I am great in my own, my own mind. I will tell you I'm world famous, it's just nobody knows it. Um, I bristle when anything spiritual is used as a kind of a measuring device or, a, or we're going to validate how really amazing, wonderful we are. And that condescending, oh, you don't yet speak in tongues, maybe one day you will know what we know. It's the same spirit of people that invite you into the deep things of God. And I'm like, I'm just doggy paddling. I don't know that I want to go into the deep things. Of, what, 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 what are you talking about? And they communicate that they know something or they have something that you peons don't have. And that just really gets me. Because let's just think for a moment. Jesus, who existed in the form of God, how far down did he have to go to get to be be with us? It's one of the reasons I love children's ministries, and I love to put people who are spiritual... Yes, good for you. Could you work with the kids for a little bit? <clears throat> because they quickly discover that <clears throat> this doesn't work well. <laughs> but when you got to get down there and talk like the kids do, and you have to exaggerate everything, and the kids are like, uh-huh. so to me, for Jesus to come all the way down, I hope this doesn't sound undignified to you, but. <laughs> He's talking like this to all of us. And to have a human be like, yes, yes, yes. I'm like, I just wanna I just wanna mess with their mind a little bit. And I don't trust people who have no sense of humor. I'm sorry, there's something broken about you. Now the nice thing I will say about being an elderly gentlemen. There aren't many nice things, but there's a few, and I'm collecting them. One of them is, I've kind of been there, done that, and I've been teaching a Bible study a week, at least one, since October of 1970. 
I love my Bible. I read my Bible a lot. And I would consider myself a fairly spiritual person. I didn't say a good person. I said a spiritual person. And I'm just not impressed with these people. You know, we've seen things come and go. And when the focus is on the manifestation of the moment, rather than the fruit that it bears, uh, it's sometimes hard to tell something spiritual from not spiritual. But I want to see the fruit that comes as a result of it. And good for you if you were bold to speak in tongues. But I'm curious, did that translate into boldness tomorrow to talk to your coworker that you've been a little bit nervous about talking to? And religion and religiosity is always going to create this little silo that we can congratulate ourselves and we can all aspire to be more like the big people. And Paul had a lot to say about these pseudo-spiritual type of, a, of, a, of apostles and how I would translate what he says. They try to get you to seek them rather than them spending their time thinking and seeking how they can reach and touch and bless, and bless you. So I don't have a lot of patience for that, I will, I will say. And, but I think they're well-meaning. But let's read the Bible and we'll know a little more. Okay, we're going to take one last question and then quick transition. All right. Um, my question has to do with uh, interpretation of tongues. Uh, I read this in, in verse 13 of chapter 14, verse 1 Corinthians. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. My question is, is this uh, the, the public gift? Of tongues, or is this the private use of tongues that you would want to interpret, or is it both? Okay, did you understand that question? We we didn't. That's one of the verses we didn't get to, but I'm happy to get to it. Uh, because the goal of ministry is to touch other people. If I believe that I have a word that is to benefit other people, uh, but it's in a language that I don't know, and they don't know, then I'll want it to be interpreted. And there's two ways that a word can get interpreted. One is, as you pointed out, if you feel you've got this prompting, I think the Lord's given me a message in tongues, you should pray, Lord, what's the gist of this? It's an interpretation, not a direct translation. And and I've had occasion when I felt led to give a word, but before I spoke it, I, I said, Lord, what, give me the interpretation. And I have had him give me the interpretation. Then I would give the tongue and the interpretation. Not every time. Sometimes I just really feel I'm, I'm, not, I'm not new at this. And I don't recommend in a public setting, if you've never had a message in tongues with an interpretation, the, the public setting is not the chance to, to, to try it out. But I have spoken on more than one occasion, in a language that I didn't know, and someone else had the interpretation of that. So he will say later, if you're going to speak in tongues, it should be interpreted, and if there is no interpreter, in other words, if you as a person do not know of someone else in this congregation who has interpreted a message in tongues before, you should not speak a message in tongues without the interpretation. 
if you're in a foreign country and you know that you have an interpreter, which is my life, (laughs) you can say all kinds of things. I know I've got an interpreter. But what good is it going to do if I go to Myanmar, formerly Burma, and speak in English? I mean, this would be a killer seminar, right? But if there's no interpreter... So that's the, the and, and it can be both. Sometimes when I'm praying for somebody, same thing, have a, a, a tongue and a sense of what I'm praying for. But not always. I don't, if it's private to myself, I don't wait for interpretation. I just go for it. Okay. We are going to take a one-minute break in 30 seconds when I finish telling you this. We're going to give everybody a chance. We told you noon. We know people need to go. Please don't feel... We're not, you're not making a statement if you leave. But I do wish to invite back any people who personally would like to be prayed for to be baptized in the Spirit. If you've already been baptized in the Spirit but never had a release of your spiritual language, I'm welcoming inviting you. Or if you're stuck with just one sentence or a few words... Would love to have you uh, stick around. I will say a few more things to you, very practical, and then we're just going to pray for you. And and I believe with all of my heart that you will speak in tongues. And I don't want to fight anybody. If you feel like, oh, but I've been prayed for so many times and it never works. All I can tell you in the last eight months is I've traveled to churches and invited people forward in exactly those three categories. It's about 98% of all the people uh, end up speaking in tongues. And I'm sure that the few who don't will when they relax a little bit on their way driving home. So I have great faith for you, but I'm not trying to impose anything on you at all. This has to be something you say, I would like to be filled with the Spirit, or, geez, I would love to have a release of my spiritual language. And as I say, I will explain a little bit more, and then we're going to actually pray. Okay? But I want to give a minute or so for you to do whatever, stand up, move around, and leave if you're going to leave, or come up on stage if you want. I don't care. I'm going to come down for a bit. One minute. God bless you. Thank you very much. See you later.